is the Love Your Team podcast, where we discuss strategies for sales managers like you and me to retain our top talent and build strong teams that consistently outperform. I'm your host, Helen Finucci, and I've been leading and managing teams for over 25 years. And most of that time, my teams have been hybrid. That is a combination of in the office and remote. Join us for this episode. This episode tackles the question of establishing and managing performance expectations of your team. I'm joined today by my co-host, Susan Finch. Susan's an amazing podcast producer and my friend who will be asking some questions that might be on your mind and offering helpful perspectives. Let's get started. Hi, Susan. Hey, Helen. I'm still laughing about the title from our last episode. Talent is like a wet bar of soap. (laughs) Well, yeah, okay. I thought it was kind of clever. It is fun. It's a good visual. I mean, you have that word picture right there and you know how that goes. I know. Some people I understand can, you know, visualize better than, you know, visual learners or auditory learners, what have you. I had some thoughts on this because you sent me this topic and it made me think about some things. And because you run into this a whole lot more, you lead bigger teams. I have a team of seven and you have lots of big teams. What are typical performance goals that sales managers have for their teams that you would recommend? I mean, I think one of the things to think about when you think about a typical performance goal is kind of what the role is because sales and sellers, that's a broad term. So are they sales development reps, sometimes called inside sales, where they're trying to get the the goals there could be number of conversations they have or how engaged they are with prospects and a metric could be around number of meetings set per day or week. It could be a conversion metric between meetings set and deals closed. I've seen that kind of a metric. For my team of strategic account enterprise sellers, our metrics are around revenue. They're also around consumption metrics, consuming in a cloud-based world just selling cloud services like Office 365 or Azure is good, but customers don't get value unless they're actually deploying it and using it. So we have metrics around helping and making sure our customers are using it. And we're all in this together. So while we have customer success teams that really help with um, implementation the sellers are also tied to consumption metrics as well to make sure that our customers are receiving value because inevitably that creates opportunity for more solutions to be sold, more products to be sold. So we have you know, those kinds of revenue and consumption metrics. But for my team, they lead a matrixed broader team of specialists. And so there are metrics and expectations around team leadership and being inclusive and creating 
a culture, a great team culture. There are expectations around stronger, deeper executive engagement. So we might look at an executive engagement map and have goals around, okay, I want you to increase your executive relationship engagement by 20%. So those aren't the the money, if you will, the quota objectives, but nonetheless, they're important objectives when you think about building a strong enterprise to enterprise business relationship, you want to make sure that we're getting deeper and broader on with our customers' executives. So those are some of the goals that my team has. I know you focus a lot on enterprise because that's your space. Right. And I encounter smaller businesses and sometimes even mom and pop businesses with, you know, a couple of salespeople at the most, sometimes, you know, a dozen, sometimes 50, but those are still small businesses. What you brought up though Yes, enterprise thinks of following up with customers to make sure they're implementing, to make sure they continue to use the product. Smaller businesses, guys, you need to do that. You need to track that to know because otherwise everybody loves new and shiny. We get new and shiny or sometimes new and shiny is crammed down our throats and we have to use it and try it. And then we fade away and we're not gonna re-up again Right. With that, if nobody ever used it or got tired of it or whatever it is. And I know for me, I try stuff all the time and I sign up for things and I have a couple of things I pay for that. It's a lot of money for me. And I haven't even had the chance to learn it all and to spend the time in there. I just don't. And I so appreciate the reps that come back and that you can tell it's part of their routine. Hey, I see that you haven't done these five things. Can I help you? You have any time to walk through it? What if we just tackled one thing to make it not overwhelming? Because obviously I'm overwhelmed. That's leadership from the top saying, make sure we got to keep them coming back. We got to keep them cozy. We got to keep them happy. We have to keep them successful using our solutions. And so you can have all those goals and things, but this goes back to our previous episode where we were talking about micromanaging and there's that line again, there are always these lines, but there's that line again of, do we hammer them all the time and say, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do that? That's not fun. Who wants to work there? Not me. Yeah, for sure. Gosh. (laughs) So we measure, you know, pipeline coverage, like 3X pipeline through CRM. And every month I do a forecast, like is common. Sometimes, you know, some companies do twice a month. So when you talked about hounding people, what it reminds me of is it's painful to get sellers to update CRM. I don't care what CRM system you're using. They didn't go into sales to have to update the pipeline. Constantly fill out forms. I know. And so, and yet... It is anti into the game for keeping the pipeline up to date. We use it to forecast, to signal the health of our business. And so sometimes what I'll do, in fact, I covered this on a team call with my team early on in the year. And I said, look, I talk to you once a week, twice a month, you know, once every two weeks. 
if I know the status of your deal, I'm going to go in and update it in CRM. And if that bothers you, tell me I won't do it. But I can't stand hounding them all the time. And so, you know, I do it. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I, I view it as a practical matter. And I know some of our listeners might think, I'm the sales manager. This is what my team needs to do. That's part of the job. And they'd be right. But pragmatically, I just, you know, if I can, if I know the status, I don't want to hound them. And a lot of them will update things, but maybe not on the time schedule that's expected by our sales operations team. And so I have to confess that's how I handle it sometimes because I'm just, I know that they're working on really important and big transactions and deals. And if I can do some things in the background to help empower their success. So the things that they're working on in the foreground get done, I think it's a, it's a win-win because at the end of the day, their success is my success. My job is to empower my team's success. Okay. So let's, let's talk about those. You're going to have those managers that say, no, that's their job and they should be doing it. So you're delving into that piece though of this, of what do you do when your talent is underperforming? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's one thing for you to pick up the ball and fill out little blanks for them and stuff and app, update a little status, but there's a point. So that's different than underperforming is more in the sales line. Yes, I get that. But it's also underperforming as being a part of a team and meeting all the expectations and the requirements of what needs to be done because that does take your time to go fill in the boxes. Yeah, you know, you just talked about a lot of things right there. So I'm going to put aside for a minute the under, you know, addressing underperforming members because often in sales, teams are in name only because often it is an individual sport. Like I know I told you that my team members manage or matrix manage a broader team. And they're certainly depending on those, like the specialist sellers and the um, extended team members to do their part. One of the things that I'm an advocate for is that if a team member is not holding their weight, let's say, they might work for me or they might not work for me, but it does impact the overall health of our business with, with these big enterprise accounts. Right. I like to get on the phone or the, you know, the team's meeting and have a conversation and just try to understand what's going on with them and talk to them, you know, about the expectations of updating and, and just check in to see, you know, kind of what's on their plate seek to understand what's going on with them. And I do this with my team members, of course, because I have a regularly scheduled call with them, but also with the extended team members. And sometimes it's a call with managers, their manager with them, their manager, myself. So much can be misinterpreted if you leave it to 
email or what others say. So I try to, you know, kind of dig into seek to understand what's going on. And it might be a performance issue, but it could be something else. And um, so I try to understand. And performance issues, you've got to be super specific about what you're expecting and what you're not seeing. And it's got to be outcome focused, in my opinion. It can't just be you're not driving you know, enough new business. And you know, even though your pipeline is 3x, if there's something more that's needed, you've got to get really specific about what the gap is. And so in my experience, people's performance isn't binary, all or nothing. So it could be that they're missing their quota. However, they could be missing their quota, but they're doing a ton of stuff to sow seeds for future business and build relationships. And for reasons beyond their control, the customer may not be in a situation where they're buying stuff. They may take a hiatus from buying more products or services. And so if we're doing the right things, and building the right relationships, that could be a fine outcome, even though they missed on their sales quota. That makes sense. It, it, it is not a black and white thing. Mm-hmm. And you do need to look at all the difference. I want to you know, talk about reviews and because I do agree with this performance improvement plans are really strategies to get rid of employees. Um, it's always under the guise of helping you Yeah, you know, performance improvement plans can be tricky beasts. And I know that they're a pain. They're frankly a pain. But I really do intend and hope that the employees improve. That, you know, either with coaching or with the wake-up moment that they improve. And I have a bunch of examples that go both ways. I absolutely have done performance improvement plans and the employee did not improve sufficiently and ended up leaving. But I've had the other way as well, where they were stepping up and they were improving. You know, one of the things that I love about Microsoft's culture is this idea of a growth mindset that people aren't fixed, they can improve. And so if we're not giving people the opportunity to improve and give them specific feedback, to me, that's doing them a disservice. Oh, definitely. We owe that. Yeah. And so if they're willing and able to step up, let's have them step up. Mm -hmm. And if not, maybe they're in the wrong job and help them find another job if there's an appropriate job available in the company. Mm -hmm. And then- it might be that they're just not a fit and they end up leaving. So in a company like Microsoft, we work with HR because there's a lot of considerations. Like you were talking about before, it isn't always what's right on the surface and what you think should be the answer. And I love the idea of finding where they fit because the hardest thing is to hire somebody, you enjoy working with them, you enjoy so much about them, but what they were hired to do isn't a fit. I went through this, gosh, when I, okay. So I had my art gallery back in the nineties 
and I had been in the ad agency business. I worked at the art gallery that my ex and I, he bought and it was failing. So I jumped in to help out. So, so I did that for my job. But after a few years, I get me out of here. I want to get back into PR and advertising. And so I made a call and one of my friends, Linda Lawrence, who has her own agency now, she was a copywriter extraordinaire. And she said, I got somebody for you. And I think it's a match. So I went to work for him. The only opening he had was in accounting. <laughs> uh, I don't see you in accounting. <laughs> nobody should see me in accounting. This is why I have two CPAs. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> it's really bad. And it was so funny, but we enjoyed working together so much. And I enjoyed the team so much that serendipitously his this is right when I was starting, you know, taking over and 97, 96. And his son was working for him and quit. And he was the programmer. Wow. And so he said, you want to learn something new? I said, sure. And so I was taught how to build websites on the spot. Fantastic. And ended up being the account executive to go for events and photograph and do things too and build websites. And that's what led to where I am today, which is so funny, but hired to be in accounting. And we both just, we're going to stay with them later this month in Idaho. We all laugh about that. The worst person for accounting is me. Yeah, I get you. Well, that story though, is so true. I mean, sometimes you hire people and even though they have a ton of experience in the role that you hired them for, they're not a fit for whatever reason. So that absolutely happens. And as I said, maybe there's a a job else, you know, within the company. What more commonly happens in large organizations is the jobs get redefined. Yes. And the expectations increase or they shift. And then the question is, can the person that's in the role adapt and change? And do they want to adapt and change? Or would they rather go do a different job? So that's a more common thing, at least in larger organizations, I think. But nonetheless, making sure that the talent's performing in the job they have, and if not addressing it head on, really does matter. Because what I've also found, and this I learned, gosh, 20 years ago, is if you don't address underperforming people, the people that are the top talent don't want to stick around. They want to be on a team that's high performing. They do because they don't want it. You knew how it was in school. You get the group assignments and you're dragging along three others. The ones that don't want to do anything. And it's irritating. They get resentful. And they will quit the group, the good ones. It can happen. It can. But I love finding people I want to work with. And it might not, like you said, be a long-term fit because things, and they have to evolve. Positions have to evolve. Expectations have to, because otherwise you're doing the same thing you did 25 years ago. And that's a dumb idea. (laughs) Right. Things are moving way too fast for that to be. Definitely. But I think it's a constant. It is, but I love if you find people that you want to work with, that you can trust, that you know have your back, find a way managers to make them fit somewhere because it's really hard to find great people to work with. That's the hardest part. Uh, 
I don't know if I agree with you. Okay. For me, you've got to have people that have the right skills, at least, you know, in high tech and selling cloud services and the complexity of the solutions. You've got to have people that have some background and experience in that area. But what you said that's super important is they've got to be able to build trust with the customers and demonstrate value. And I think the building trust starts with the manager building trust with them. So I actually think, and this might be, I don't know, this might be a radical idea. (laughs) I think that you build relationships so that you like the people that you work with rather than finding people you already like and have them try to fit into the job. Great point. And, and if you're a manager, you've got to have the skill, I, I would say, to build relationships so that you like the team. And in my opinion, the sentiment actually is love your team. Right. Because it's got to be personal. You've got to care about the people that you work with and who and the people that work for you. I like that idea. Thank you. I like you. You kind of took what I said and it makes more sense how you're saying it. That was kind Mm. of what was in my head. It just came out wrong. So I'm glad you said that. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. It's just a a different way of looking at it. Yeah. No, I, I'm learning from you all the time. Mm, There are a few of you that I, I just listen. It's like, Ooh, I like how she said that. That sounds a lot better than how I would have said it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we've kind of come to the end of this episode. We have. Well, thank you so much. And listeners, I encourage you to find this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll be there soon. And in the meantime, find us at loveyourteampodcast.com. Until next time. Thanks, Helen. Thanks, Susan. Thank you for joining us for the Love Your Team podcast. Please subscribe and review us in all your favorite podcast venues. Share this show with your own team. If you have topics or guests to suggest, please let us know. Love your team at funnelradio.com.